Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Um, Sharon is actually in New York um, today, but we are both the co-founders of Breast Friends. And I have to say, I love our theme today because one of the things that we teach women we work through, work with through Breast Friends, and that I also share from stages, is that it's really important to find a way to live your life on purpose. And how, however, one of the things that, that people find difficult is understanding what their purpose actually is. And I've developed a simple equation for that. Your purpose is what happens when you combine your gifts and your passion. And here again, there's often confusion between the definition of gifts and passion. And let me give you a simple formula that I added to that. And that is your gifts are the abilities, they are actual abilities that you have that you can do easier and better than most. It could be something as simple as music or art, photography, even listening. Listening is a gift. And compassion is something that's really hard to teach. So if you're compassionate, it's probably a gift. Some people have gifts of really strong business sense and even the ability to make money is a gift. And so that's that's gifts. Gifts are given to you and they're meant to be used in a positive way. Whereas passion is something that you care about. For example, you have, may have passion around children or around animals or homeless or injustice. These are things that you care about. And when you combine your natural gifts with what you care about in a way that can make the world better, that's your purpose. It doesn't have to be a career move or something earth shattering. And let me, let me give you an example. If your gift is working with numbers and your passion is animals, it can be as simple as volunteering your time to handle finances at an animal shelter. That, that's an example. And sometimes and most often it really is in the small things. It just needs to be real to you. And today's guest is one such incredibly amazing lady. Our guest today is Lisa Kreitz. Lisa is a perfect example of someone who has taken her gifts and her passion and discovered her purpose. She's the award-winning inventor of the shower shirt. And we're going to talk about that because, see, Lisa, when she had her mastectomy, showered in a garbage bag. And and I can't wait to hear how she evolved that into something pretty cool. She's traveled all over the world. She's won many awards as an entrepreneur. And she's also, as I just mentioned, a breast cancer survivor. Welcome, Lisa. We're so glad to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you, Becky. Thank you for having me. And by the way, I loved your message on gifts and compassion. I had a friend that always talked about passion. You can't buy it. You have it or you don't. So it's very nice. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, we're so excited. So why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, like what do you do professionally and how you got into this field and just, just kind of, let's just go back to the beginning and, and just let our, let our audience know about you, about Lisa. Sure. Well, I started out, I, um, I was a health and medical reporter. I was a journalist for many, many years. 
And uh, even as a child, I always just loved the social reading of health and medical, medical news. So I did that for many years. I was in the newsroom for a dozen years or so. And then I evolved into media strategy work. So I really do more media relations health care these days, which mm-hmm. uh, came in very um, uh, came in very well when I ended up having a lot of health problems and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. And so tell tell us about that. When you were diagnosed, how did that how did that feel or what what shook your world at that point? I was forty one years old. Um, oh, actually, it was two weeks before I turned 41, and I was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. Obviously, quite a shock. Um, I was obviously young, uh, but we know these days age has no revelation with breast cancer, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. Uh, I had, yeah. Yes. I had no family history. I was conceivably healthy. I didn't smoke. I exercised. Didn't drink much. I mean, just overall, I was pretty healthy and uh, ended up with breast cancer. And... Um, I was, uh, you know, I immediately, uh, being a past health and medical reporter, I had been around it. I had interviewed many, many breast cancer patients, watched what they had gone through uh, from start mm-hmm. to finish, and it was almost like, oh, it's, it's my turn uh, to, to go through this, <laughs> this uh, process now, and it was, it was shocking, but I felt good. I felt, uh, I felt strong. And also because uh, being in the health and medical field from the reporting side as well as the media strategy side, I had a lot of resources. I I was so blessed to have access to so uh, many medical resources at my fingertips. You know, Lisa, I have to comment on something you just said, and I have never heard anybody say this. When you said, oh, it's my turn, I just, you know, it's not something you, people that usually comes to people's minds is usually, oh, no, what ha- why me? And, you know, things like that. But to have you say it's my turn is almost, I mean, did you kind of expect that it could happen to you? What, what um, was going on there? <laughs> it's a great question from a personal standpoint. Um, in fact, I had recently written a, written a guest column for the Huffington Post, um, and mm-hmm. I said two things I always knew, and number one was that um, <clears throat> my mother would die tragically in a car accident. I always knew it. There, were no, there was no reason to believe that, but I knew it. And secondly, that I would have breast cancer. And secondly, there was no reason to believe that either because I had no family history of the disease. Mm-hmm. Right. But right. I also go back to statistics. I remember when I first started uh, doing health and medical journalism, uh, it was like 108,000 women were diagnosed with breast cancer in the U.S. every year. By the time I left journalism, it was way up to almost 280,000 women were diagnosed. So exponentially, yeah. that number was increasing, and I would often, every time I would talk to a younger person diagnosed or a unique situation, I would think, when is my time? And so when I was diagnosed, mm. I was like, okay, it's my time. Wow. Wow, that's really, that's amazing. And, you know, and going back to the numbers that you just shared to see that incredible increase, do you think it has more to do with just awareness and women were getting diagnosed earlier before it spread and then they confused it with lung cancer? Or do you think, do you think it actually increased or do you think it was more related to the, the numbers of women being screened? What, what's your thought on that? 
You know, I have a couple of different thoughts. And again, doing media strategy work right now, I, uh, one of my clients is a breast surgeon and a breast center. And so I, I do a lot of studies and do a lot of guest columns and this type of stuff. Number one, uh, you know, trending is that, you know, years ago, analog, you know, analog uh, mammography was the way to go, was the only way to go, and then it evolved into digital. And there were a lot of trending stories and research that says, well, now with digital, they're finding more and more quickly. I remember growing up, even though my mother did not have breast cancer or my grandmother's, but mother did, she had a fibrocystic uh, breast, you know, where they found cysts, Mm -hmm. and they would always have to go in and do a biopsy. Well, they biopsied everything that popped up on the analog mammogram. Now with digital, they they see more and more and more. Um, So I I think it's both. But also, you speak with some of the more alternative surgeons out there, and they all say it's environmental. It's you know it's the technology, the cutting edge technology, which is finding it quicker and and at Mm -hmm. lower lower stages, as well as the environment. And you look at statistics and cancer across the board. It, they're all, you know, they've all increased. It's not just the breast cancer side. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting. Um, yeah, because, you know, they're getting better with research and they're following more cases and, and you know, there's just the whole, the whole thing is just changing so much. And, but that's a really scary number to see it go from 100, what'd you say, 108,000 to 280,000 over how long a period of time was that? It was over like a 10-year period. Um, And and by the way, the numbers are well over 300,000 now because I've been out of the reporting side of of health medical journalism for a few years. Mm -hmm. And it's well over, it's like 303,000 was one of the last statistics I read. 303,000 were diagnosed with breast cancer just in the U.S. alone. And another little yeah. statistic, because we know the diagnosis, all diagnoses are different and all clinical protocols are different, but 56% of that number have mastectomy surgery in this country. So more than 50% mm. of these breast cancer patients diagnosed are now going the more aggressive approach and having mm-hmm. mastectomy surgery. Interesting. Um, yeah, because there's so many options now, you know, the, it, it used to be way back in the day that if you if you showed any breast cancer in, in the breast, they just did those radical mastectomies. Women would wake up from their biopsy surgery with no breasts. And now we have options. But that's interesting that more and more women are choosing to go that route. I know I did on my, my first time, I did the lumpectomy with um, radiation. And then the second time, which was eight years later, when it came on the other side, I went ahead and did a double mastectomy because I really... I really didn't want to play anymore. I thought, you know, I've done this twice now. That's enough. And then lo and behold, I ended up with it a third time when we found it behind my breastbone near my chest wall. And that time they labeled it as consistent with metastatic disease. So, you know, I'm I'm glad I did the the double mastectomy, but, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure that that was the answer for me necessarily, but... um, but yeah, it's just, there's so many options. I guess the good news is too, Lisa, that more and more women are surviving breast cancer than ever before, partly because we are catching it earlier. And um, and so I'm not sure what the mortality rate has done, but I'm guessing percentage-wise, it's probably gone down pretty significantly from what it used to be. What do you think on that? Do you have any thoughts? Well, I, actually, I do, and I, and, I, and I have a couple thoughts in what you just said uh, personally as well. Um, that, that is, from, the, from a lot of the trending statistics are because they are finding it so much earlier at, a, at lower stages, minimal stages, DCIS, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, 
right. uh, that that people are living longer because they're they're able to get a hold of it immediately, do the biopsy, radiate, so on and so forth. Yes, but something you just said in in your own personal experience, um, I have a very lay lay attitude about one thing and uh number one when i was diagnosed of course i'm a bit more of an aggressive take the bull by the horns person but i was Mm -hmm. like just take them off i said my (laughs) attitude is that this is the same machine these are the same hormones and my hormones are going to continue to produce the same anomalies in my body whether it's the good stuff or the bad stuff so my feeling was I wanted to be more aggressive. Uh, my breast cancer was stage 1 DCIS. I was very, very lucky that they caught it on a mammogram. However, when I took that more aggressive approach, had the bilateral mastectomy, there was already breast cancer in the left breast that they had not found or they had not seen on oh, mammogram. And... I remember once I saw the PATH report, because I was working in the hospital system at this time. Again, I had access. I had a lot of access. I had the PATH report. I had done my research, and it was like a prelobular carcinoma that they found in the left breast. I went to my general surgeon as a follow-up, and I'm like, what's this? What's this? Of course, I already knew what it was. He said, oh, Lisa, that would have eventually shown up in the mammogram. And I just looked at him and I said, yeah, at stage four, question mark. I mean, you don't know. And, and that was for me. I know I made, I took the best steps, not only for my psychological state, but obviously my physical state, because there was already breast cancer in the left breast. It had not shown on mammogram. I would have had breast cancer again. I already had cancer in my body. It just hadn't shown up. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And the, and for me, the difference between my first round and my second round, the only thing that I did differently the second time, well, besides the mastectomy, is I did not do radiation. And you know, I did do radiation on the first side and went, and chemo. Of course, nine months of chemo. When they took off both breasts, the right side that had been treated eight years earlier was clean as can be. You know, there was no sign of cancer in there at all. You know, the, the chemo and radiation had done its job. And then when I did the left side, we only did chemo. And unfortunately, I'd already used up my lifetime max of the, the best drug for me, which was, it's called adriamycin, otherwise, a.k.a. the red devil, <laughs> really a fun okay. drug. Um, we I could only do two doses. Normally, they do four. And then they had to follow it up with, with something else. And apparently, with that mix just wasn't enough to to nail it, you know, and maybe had I done radiation, I don't know, maybe if I'd been able to do four doses, I don't know. So there's so many things. And, you know, I've, I've kind of made the decision in my life not to try to go back and second guess because I can't, it makes no difference at this point. But when I did my third time, when they found it the third time, the only option available to me was radiation. And I've gone in every year for a PET scan since. And so far, there's been no evidence of cancer in my body, even though they labeled it as consistent with metastatic disease. Now, I'm going in again in about a week or two for another one and hoping for the same set of of results but um but you know you just don't know and and some women will choose one route some will choose another and you know we just go with the best decisions we have at that time talking to our doctors and and we just we just go with it so but yeah you that's this great conversation um let let me ask you i know lisa you had some complications during your treatment, you know, you're diagnosed at 41, you had no family history, um, but you had complications and, and you did something with a hyperbaric chamber, as I recall. Can you speak to that? Because I don't even I know what did. that does. I've heard of it. 
I did. Um, again, I had, uh, gosh, my bilateral mastectomy within just a couple weeks of being diagnosed. And I had gone through, you know, the, the typical clinical protocol on a, antibiotics beforehand and then, of course, the surgery. And it was a couple weeks after my surgery. I was already off the antibiotics. I did not feel well. And I still had those, mm-hmm. those nice little J.P. Blake drains. They started producing things that did not look... <laughs> Right. So anyway, long story short, I went to the doctor and I had a very, very severe infection uh, in the left in the left tissue expander because they had placed tissue expanders, of course, after the mastectomy. And my blood count was like 16,000. It was supposed to wide blood count. It was supposed to be nine. Uh, So I was in the hospital and they could not uh, they could not get the infection under control. Ultimately, it was uh, deemed an, a hospital-acquired infection. They removed the tissue expander, and I had to go into hyperbaric oxygen treatments. Um, it's interesting. Hyperbaric oxygen became known for treating patients with the bends when they would do deep-sea diving and, and um the, the 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 brain I, and I, I'm not clinical, so I can't go into that. But it was a good treatment. It's like a diving type thing for the body, and so I ended up uh, in hyperbaric oxygen treatment for four months. Um, wow! Over that is that a daily of- is that a daily thing or is that what 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 yes. happens there? Is it daily? Okay, it was All daily. Right. Let me back up real quick. After that, that infection, of course, they removed uh, the tissue expander. Over that next year, I ended up with seven surgeries ended up with two what they deemed as hospital-acquired infections, which resulted in four months of hyperbaric oxygen treatments. So to answer your question, yes, I would have to be at the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Uh, like 7 a.m., uh, we would go in, you put these, it's really kind of odd masks on, you're in scrubs, and I would have to sit in the chamber for four and a half hours. Uh, in between that time, and, and it's, it's often also used for wound, wound management, just for infections okay. that will not go away and wounds that will not go away. So um, during that time, you have a, a dive team in there that's checking your blood pressure, so on and so forth. So hyperbaric oxygen treatment is... You know, it, it is evidence-based medicine. It's covered by most insurance. Some doctors believe it's, it's a little too alternative for them, but I absolutely believe the hyperbaric oxygen treatments, even though it was four months of my life, absolutely saved the infection, got rid of the infection. And because of that, I, and I now have two breaths because there was a period of time the doctors were like, you are probably looking at only having one breast the rest of your life because we can't, if we can't, if we can't get rid of the infection, we can't rebuild. So yeah. I'm a huge advocate of hyperbaric oxygen medicine if you're, you're a good candidate. Good. Well, I, we've never talked about that on this show, so this is this is new and good information. Well, Lisa, we're going to take a short break, so um, we hope our listeners will just stay tuned, and we'll be back on the other side. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. 
When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Lisa Kreitz, who is the creator of The Shower Shirt. And we were having some very interesting conversations before we left for our break. So uh, we're going to kind of pick it up where we left off. Lisa, are you still there? I know you were trying to change phones. Are you still with us? Hallelujah. Okay. Yes. We never know if somebody changes phones, might we might lose them, but we're so glad that you that you're still here. So let's kind of go back for a minute cuz during the break you and I were talking about choices that women make. And sometimes we do exactly what our doctor tells us to do. And then there are those doctors who give you choices and they explain the choices and so you make your decisions differently. And you had some really interesting perspective on that. Would you mind kind of going back there with me and and sharing that? Absolutely. Um, You know, I often say knowledge is power. Knowledge is power in so many categories. And I think when we're dealing with health issues, especially a cancer diagnosis, that's that's, uh, so important. For me, again, I I was very lucky. Stage one, DCIS on my right breast. Um, Evidence-based medicine for this specific diagnosis, and as we know, there are so many out there when it comes to breast cancer, was a biopsy, or I'm sorry, a lumpectomy with what they considered chemo-based radiation and tamoxifen for five years. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, that's an option. As I said earlier in the first segment, you know, I'm a much more aggressive person, and I kept thinking, ah, these hormones are going to continue to produce good and bad stuff in this body. I think I want to take more of an aggressive approach. And uh, I remember because I was a health and medical journalist, I have so many wonderful friends who are true medical writers, and almost every one of them said, Lisa, bilateral mastectomy is not evidence-based medicine for your diagnosis. Why aren't you following evidence-based medicine? And, of course, now, you know, I continue, I will say, well, thank goodness I didn't follow evidence-based medicine because I wanted to be more aggressive because there was already cancer in the left breast. If I yeah, So let, can we go back to that? Well, let me ask you a clarifying question on that, okay? Just mm-hmm. so I can make sure that I understand and our listeners understand. When you say it was not evidence-based, it's because you had early-stage DCIS, right? Which, Correct. Which, 
So for some people, they don't they don't do the double mastectomy. And would can you just explain real quickly what DCIS means so our listeners can understand? Sure. DCIS is ductal carcinoma. Ductal carcinoma, carcinoma in situ. DCIS. Ductal carcinoma in situ. And it's essentially the cancer is still in the breast duct. It hasn't exploded or grown out or metastasized out of the duct. So it's it's somewhat protected in the duct, and it was stage one, so it had not grown. So it was, again, a non-aggressive cancer. Because of the non-aggressiveness, uh, evidence-based medicine, you know, all the researchers from the clinical side, evidence-based says that a lumpectomy with the chemo-based radiation and tamoxifen for five years is all I needed. Of course, my psyche wasn't accepting to that because I kept thinking, I want them off. That sounds horrible and aggressive, but I was scared. I sat there and with my husband, actually. He was my uh, boyfriend at the time. He's now my wonderful husband. I sat there um, with the oncologist, and I said, look, I know this is the evidence-based medicine side, but I'm looking more into the more aggressive. And I said, if I was your wife or I was your daughter, what would you tell me to do? And That's a great question. Said, yes. That's a great question, yeah. It okay, puts continue them, on, sorry. <laughs> you no, know, it's true, because from a, from a clinical standpoint, they're trained. They're trained to kind of take the emotion out of it and just follow the clinical protocol. And he looked mm-hmm. at me and smiled, and he said, I would tell them to do exactly what you're thinking about doing. And with that, it was like, okay, this is my decision. Let's go ahead and do the bilateral mastectomy. And like I said, you know, 2020, hindsight, when the PATH report came back, there was already cancer in the left side, or it was called prelobular carcinoma, which is a, a precursor to a very aggressive form of breast cancer. So, And this was something interesting, too, going back to the psychological aspect. Knowledge is power. Gather as much knowledge as you can. I was blessed and very lucky because I was in the health and medical resource, you know, access stream. But I... I can't tell you how thankful I was when when I did what I did, knowing what I know now. Uh, everybody has to be psychologically accepting to their decisions. And, and Becky, I know you do a lot of speaking engagements, as do I. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. And I, I, I mention it often in my speaking engagements. Everybody has to do what is psychologically acceptable to them. My Aunt Faye, who I'm named after, uh, she's 83 years old. And I remember one time she sat there with tears in her eyes. She says, Lisa, I could never have my breasts removed. They're a part of me. Now, we know some of the older generations, it's a little, little bit different on the thinking processes. For her, she was so, so psychologically connected to the feminine side of everything, there was no way she could have done that. And I, that's why myself, I thought, you know, again, I made the right decision, even though I had not had the surgery yet, because that's not where I was coming from. So you have to do a lot of soul-searching to figure out what is best for you. Because if you do what is best for you, then you're much better off with those decisions later from a mental standpoint. Because you and I both know this is not just about the physical being. This is the psychological, the emotional. We go through a lot with this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That, That is so true. And, you know, I think that when you're able to feel confident with the decisions that you've made, even if it's not the perfect 
thing that happens. Like in my case, you know, I had ended up with it a third time. But I, I'll tell you right now, I, I've kind of gotten to this place in my life because of where this has led me that I don't believe for a minute that cancer happened to me. I believe with my whole heart that cancer happened for me because I'm making different choices and I'm and I, my life has done a 180 degree turn the opposite direction from where I was heading before cancer. And, you know, I so much of this, it is all and it's all psyche at that point, because, yeah, this is a tough, tough disease. And, you know, I don't I don't um, wish this upon anybody. But for me personally, this has been a real blessing to me. And I know that sounds so stupid to somebody who's never been there or maybe just now going through this. Um, but it, it is tough. But there are blessings in it. And, you know, getting to meet people like you, Lisa, quite frankly, I mean, this is this is a blessing. I wouldn't have this radio show and be doing this if it wasn't for all of this. And I and I love the guests that we meet. So anyway, we're going to keep going here because I don't want to run out of time. and We got a lot more to talk about. So let me ask you, Lisa, real quickly. I know you've got a medical journalism background, and I'm sure that somehow it supported you in, in your breast cancer journey. Can you share that, how it how they connected? Absolutely. Um, Again, because I had, of course, left that side of journalism, the broadcast side, kind of went behind the camera to do the strategy side. When I was diagnosed, I was working for a large healthcare system. So I immediately, um, you know, had had access to some of the best Mm -hmm. providers. Quickly, when I realized that there were, uh, there was a need out there, because again, I had so many complications ended up, you know, with seven surgeries throughout that year. Uh, anyone that's gone through this knows that usually with the, the mastectomy surgery, you have something called J.P. Blake drains, and uh, they couldn't get wet. So I ended up, every time I had surgery after my mastectomy over that year, I was showering in a trash bag. And I was so frustrated. I kept thinking. When I first heard that, I, I laughed, but it's also true. I mean, I'm, I'm covering mine with saran wrap and trying to hold the drains up. And it's like, God, there's got to be a solution to this nightmare. And you did that. So keep going. I'm sorry. I just got excited <laughs> no for a problem. moment. <laughs> it, it is. You know, something here we go back to psyche. You know, I'm kind of a feminist in general. I grew up with three brothers and a very domineering father, and I, I'm sitting there in the shower with a trash bag, you know, bag, feeling quite deflated uh, for many, many reasons. <laughs> you know, I kept thinking, women have been going through this, going through the surgery in this country alone for 70 plus years. Why isn't there a product to protect me? So, in between you know, all the ups and downs of surgeries and treatment and being sick, because of my access to health and medical and my history in journalism, I started calling some of my friends who were general surgeons, breast surgeons, reconstructive surgeons. I said, hey, I need to come in and pick your brain. And um, everyone, I'm like, why am I showering in a trash bag? Why isn't there a product? You know, um, and they all said the same thing because no one has created anything, Lisa. And especially the general surgeons out there that they, let's say they do hemodialysis catheters, they, some of the cardiac surgeons that do cardiothoracic, that's why we kind of talk about uh, the shower shirt now for chest surgery patients because there's so many populations. And one of the general surgeons is like, Lisa, something like that could be used for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So 
I have to say that access to those clinical brains were amazing in terms of, okay, let me pick your brain. You tell me what other patient population, how do I need to create this, so on and so forth. So that by far, I was so blessed um, because I, I I had access to people who were willing to really share their knowledge because if you get down to it, you know, those, those surgeons, those clinicians, they want their patients to be healthy, but they want them to be happy under such a diagnosis, whether it's the breast cancer side, the dialysis treatment, uh, or so on and so forth. So why we say this shower garment, the shower shirt, yes, the inception was breast cancer driven, but it's used for so many other patient populations so they can just live easier if they have ports, drains, or catheters that cannot get wet. Yeah, that's that is that's such a it's such a great idea. I actually went online and looked at a picture of the shower shirt because I still didn't have a concept of what it looked like. And it's just it's almost like a cute little jacket. You even put a pink um, ribbon on it, which is pretty awesome. And it, it's just this cute little thing that you and it's waterproof and goes up. I think I re- recall it goes up high around the neck to kind of keep the water from dripping down and getting inside and. I mean, it's just such a simple, simple idea, but you made it into something really cool. And, you know, when I when I did our introduction at the beginning, you know, I talked about your gifts and your passion. Well, to me, I mean, just what I know about you and what I've kind of known about you over the years is that you've got this tremendous gift for marketing. You know, some people, I, I that's just not my thing, but you've got this great <laughs> gift for marketing and you've got this passion for women not having to shower in a garbage bag and you actually turned it into a business. And sometimes people are able to turn their their gift and their passion into a purpose that becomes a career move. And, you know, you're one of these people who've, who've done that. And so why don't, let's talk a little bit more about the actual, um, you know, product and, and the development of the product and, and how you built the prototype. And I'm kind of curious about all that stuff. So do you mind kind of sharing that? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, one thing, one thing. When we were talking about access to resources, I have to say that mm-hmm. was something else. You you gave me a compliment on the marketing. That was something else. Being a health and medical reporter, once we went on the market with the shower shirt, I, I reached out to some of my former colleagues who were still journalists and say, "Hey, this is what I've done. What do you think?" Sure, come on our show. So a lot of that was luck, but it went back to the history of what I did for so long and those resources. Um, But let's go back, yes, to the shirt. It is kind of interesting because... um, I All I knew was I wanted something that was a waterproof material. I wanted something with elastic perimeters, obviously something that protected multiple patient populations per my um, research with a lot of local surgeons. So my brother, who is an architect, um, well, he says he's a safety engineer, but he's an architect. He builds buildings and hospitals. So I thought if he could design buildings and hospitals, he can just help me design the shirt. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth? Okay, <laughs> cool. So we we created the schematic of the shower shirt. Um, you know, pretty much the perimeters, elastic perimeters. But like I said, we did the waterproof parachute material. The neck was huge um, because uh, we wanted to make sure there was kind of a unisex size for the neck. So we did the drawstring. We did the cinch strap, so it sets almost like a turtleneck. We did microfiber on the inside, and, and so you're right. It looks kind of like a little, a little jacket. So my brother created that, and then I took 
that schematic to my aunt and my cousin, who are amazing seamstresses, and they created our first prototype. So it was definitely a family affair. And I remember, um, you know, I think that this, this project, or I know this project, became my cathartic uh, process for getting through breast cancer. I think sometimes here it's been eight years. I still don't think I've really ever dealt with having breast cancer because I threw all of my energies, my emotions, my money, uh, and became obsessed with building a product for future patients so they would not be reduced to showering in a plastic trash bag like I was. That's great. (laughs) You know, let me ask you a question about it because, and I know, I think you touched on it, but let me just go back there and I'll ask you specifically. When I had my reconstruction process, I came home from the hospital surprisingly with all these drain tubes I had coming out the lower half, upper half. And I remember I walked into my doctor's office for my follow-up appointment and I had all these drain tubes. And I said, you know, I feel like a science experiment. And he says, why is that? And I said, well, you showed me the before and after, but you didn't show me this. <laughs> you know, I had no idea I was going to come home with all these things dangling all over. And then when I tried to shower, gosh, it was horrible because I'm trying to hold up the drain tubes. I'm trying to cover the, the, the parts where they go into the body. And it's like, this is, this is crazy. Somebody's got to come up with a solution. So does your shower shirt, can you actually tuck the drain tubes and, and so they don't, they're not dangling when you're trying to shower? Does it work for that? Absolutely. In fact, that's one thing we say. The shower shirt not only uh, protects the drains from getting wet, but it supports the weight of the drains. Um, as you know, those drains are not light. They go all the way down no. to the knees. So we have kind of a, we have a strap on the inside to take up um, the tubing, to wrap around the tubing, yeah. and then we have pockets on the inside that where you put the J.P. Blake drain. And it's interesting, when we were in the process of creating this, uh, I remember I had two drains per armpit right after my mastectomy. But then there were a couple times after infection surgeries, I had three drains per, per that armpit. And so we went back to the drawing board and said, I need three pockets. Two pockets are not enough. And... Uh, <laughs> which is very good for other patient populations. Wound vacs um, and chemo pumps, usually these patients have um, these, this medical paraphernalia sutured to their body, so they also, not just the breast cancer patient, other patient populations have those internal pockets to support the weight of whatever you know they, they need if they have something coming out of their body like we do with the breast cancer side of things. Wow. You kind of thought through everything, didn't you? This is pretty cool. This is really cool. I tried to. I have to say, um, I, I laugh often, you know, when, when I do engagements and different um, <clears throat> speaking opportunities, I laugh and say, you know, I, came my, I became my own research and development department because I uh, personally was using the prototypes, I would work with my manufacturing liaison, and I, would, I sent them the first prototype. They mm-hmm. sent their prototype back. Well, next thing you know, I'm having another surgery. I needed to be protected. I would use that prototype. And I went back and forth for a year. With, we went through five prototypes, and I believe I used every one of them and, uh, to see how could I better this. 
One funny story, that, and, I, and I still love this story, um, I also handed prototypes out to some of the local general surgeons and reconstruction surgeons, and I said, please let your patients use the shower shirt. I want feedback. Tell me what's wrong with it. Tell me how we can do better. And we had a local lady here, and she was a firefighter, and she's become a very good friend. Her name is Shannon. And she called me. Lisa, I love the shower shirt. It worked great. But you know what you need? You need Velcro up and down the front instead of blocks of Velcro. Firefighters, they use those heavy, heavy jackets with the big Velcro. So I laugh and say I became my own research development department, but it took a village. And I love (laughs) getting the feedback from these women and patients that use the the prototypes. So I, I thank them for the product being um, the design as it, as it is today and being such a success in terms of uh, a, a necessary product that works very, very well if you need it. That's great. Lisa, that's great. We have to uh, go out to break. And I just, I love that story, though. That's that's super. So we'll come back and we'll kind of pick this up where we left off. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our Women's Cancer Program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high-risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking with our wonderful guest today, Lisa 
Kreitz, and she's the creator of The Shower Shirt. And Lisa, I have to tell you, I love you, and I wish you lived on the East Coast. I mean, the West Coast, you do live on the East Coast, on the West Coast, because I would invite you over for coffee anytime you want to come, because <laughs> I just, I love talking to you. But let, let me ask you a question. You've got all this energy, and you're just exciting, and you're wonderful, but I know that being an entrepreneur is not always easy. And I have to ask you, because I'm sure I can learn something from you, how do you stay motivated when things aren't going the way you think they should go? Some people just give up. What, what keeps you going? Um, I knew giving up is not an option. Giving up is very easy. And I've just never taken the easy road uh, in my life. I, I can't. That's just not an option. I have to say, during that year of, as we talked earlier, the seven surgeries and the hyperbaric oxygen treatments, I would get up in the morning, I would eat breakfast, I would go back to bed and sleep a couple hours. I would get up and I would work on the shower shirt for two hours, whether it be some marketing materials, whether it be creating formatting for the website, whether it be testing prototypes. I made it a point to to work on it two hours. I, I would go back to bed. I would get up and eat lunch. I would go back to bed. I slept most of the time, but two things I did was work on the shower shirt, and I tried to at least walk because I know, again, there's such a body-mental state. It's hard. Mm-hmm. There were many, many times I said to my husband, I quit, I quit, I can't do this. <laughs> and he was look at me and smile. Lisa, you can't quit now. And, yeah. uh, you know, and... I have to tell you, it's because of him. There are so many times he he has been my biggest fan as I start tearing up. He has been amazing. And so to have to have a support, a spinal support like that, somebody cheering you on, it's very helpful. But the mantra yeah. is you can't give up. That's easy. Easy. Yeah, true. And, you know, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think a lot of people who are listening to our show are – you know, it's, we all kind of get there sometimes. It's like, you know, you just kind of want to give up. You want to go to bed, and then you've got this plan to work two hours, but then you don't. And and it's easy to just get in front of the television and just kind of get stuck there. But um, I think it's good to hear somebody like you who's made so much success with this product and this project and, and to hear that you kind of struggled through some of those things too. But it's that dedication. It's doing something and we do talk about this you know from breast friends and then also when i'm speaking on stage do something every day to see your dream come you know come true whether it's 2 hours or even 10 minutes if that is all you can give it today's 10 minutes do something positive towards your business or whatever it is you got you know on on your you know, vision board or whatever, do something with it every day. And glad to hear you say that. So, all right. So we're going to talk about some of the greatest challenges that you face in doing your work now. Now that the product is done, it's on the market. What are some of the greatest challenges you face and, you know, dealing with healthcare people or what is it? What, where do you struggle the most? Do you think? Um, one thing on the, uh, when, when I was going through treatment and bringing the product to market, I read this book called Unstoppable. And Unstoppable, and one of the, the main messages were it's harder to bring a product to market that's never existed versus a product that already exists and you change it 15 to 20% or okay. 10%. And I kept thinking, this product has never existed. I'm going to have a heck of a time. And, of course, we have. But there was a huge aspect, just like you, just like me, if you go through this and you already know the need for a product like there, 
we know the need. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. For people out there that have never had the breast surgery, never had chest surgery, never had to protect themselves, they're like, why would you need a shower shirt? You know, and so <laughs> that's one aspect of communicating the need for this uh, product. And it's kind of like a huge Band-Aid. You need it for a short period of time until you don't. So that is always an ongoing struggle, which brings me to one of the biggest things we really need is Medicare coverage. Um, Mm. Without Medicare coverage for the shower shirt, we can't get the commercial insurers to to cover it. So, I mean, we still sell plenty of shower shirts on, on a weekly basis for those in need, but it would really help us exponentially if we could get the Medicare coverage. But as we know, nothing really runs smoothly in Washington at the moment, and so that's <laughs> it's, it's a bit on the back burner right now. Uh, yeah. We There was uh, when uh, Congressman Bill Posey and Washington Schultz did file the Post-Mastectomy Infection Reduction Act uh, legislation, to protect shower coverings for breast cancer patients or to reimburse, but we really didn't have the resources to, to hire lobbyists to get it pushed through. But it was one step in the right direction. It was a win yeah. for that day, let's say that. Good. We we like wins for a day, even if it's yeah. only for a day. It's still a win, right? It goes in the column. Yeah. <laughs> so talked about talk about the greatest blessings, because I know this is this is so special in your heart. So what are some of the greatest blessings you've in, encountered through this? I think that when you put your blood, sweat, tears, and and everything you have into something Mm -hmm. that helps other people, that is a huge success, and that is a blessing, you know, beyond belief. Um, So that's number one. But number two, the people that I've met and the experiences I've gained from the shower shirt. Um, You know, I don't have children, and so the shower shirt, I kind of like birthed it. It's It's your baby. (laughs) True. I get get that. Yeah. The blessings of people I've met, uh, and I know you had mentioned the awards earlier, but being in Portugal, we had gotten an award for the, from the University of Portugal School of Business and Economics. I feel like I have lifelong friends in Lisbon. Uh, we traveled with the State Department based on an award with the SBA. Amazing. Uh, and then, again, traveled to the Middle East. So I think, again, the biggest blessing is, is creating something to help people. That's number one. It really changes your perspective of what's important and what's not. And I yeah, need a little humble sure. pie often to get back <laughs> to basics. But secondly, yeah. the people and the experiences I would have never had but for being diagnosed with breast cancer, but for being highly annoyed showering in a plastic trash bag and then working very hard to bring a product to market to help people. You know, you, you just mentioned the Middle East, and I'm not going to let you drop that one and, and not go any further. So let's say, um, you know, woman leader, business leader in the Middle East, I just, it's not the kind of picture I have of something that you see every every day. So tell me how you got invited to to meet with leaders in the Middle East because I I know there's a story there and I just can't wait to hear it. We have a few minutes, so okay, go great. For it. Because of that, uh, University of Portugal School of Business and Economic Patient Innovation win, uh, that that first tier of winners were asked to uh, present at the World Government Summit in Dubai. And it was interesting when I got the the, the uh, invite. I'm like, well, this is cool. 
And my husband and I, uh, we're, we're big news <laughs> watchers, and there was a, a quick article in Saudi Arabia about women couldn't go into Starbucks. They were forbidden to go into Starbucks. <laughs> so in my mind, as a ge- geographically you know, illiterate person sometimes, I'm like, how can I go to Dubai and present if I can't even go into <laughs> Starbucks, even though that's different countries? But nevertheless, uh, basically the World Government Summit was... Uh, about innovation. It was called the Edge of Government, about innovation, and we went over, and I was with the Prime Minister's office, and we presented, it seemed to, many, many leaders of many, many countries and uh, of our innovation, uh, that the shower shirt was an innovation based on my breast cancer experience. And I want to say, because I was so enthralled, in women in business in the Middle East, I wanted to learn more about it because, you know, we hear the horror stories here in the U.S. We don't hear the good stuff. So when I was there, I asked one of the prime minister's assistants if I could have access and interview uh, women in business in the Middle East because I was over there for that same purpose. And when I got back, I wrote an article called Business in the Burqa, and it was about women in business in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So it was fascinating. As you know, I mean, the culture is very different. I was a fast-talking, loud female American. So, uh, <laughs> How'd that go over? <laughs> you know, Were you accepted? Was, or? I, I found myself pulling back and being very, very, um, mm. of course, polite. I think I'm polite anyway. But it was, I followed. I followed. I was in their country. I respected their country. I respected their dress. And I followed by example. And those women... Uh, could not have been more wonderful to my husband and I and the Portugal team. And, uh, you know, of course, behind closed doors, we had nice little talks about culture and how they really believe. Um, but they, I mean, it, it's their culture, and that's, that's the way they grew up. So it was beyond fascinating to spend time in Dubai with my husband and the team in Portugal. That's Lisa. That is so incredible. I love this story. So we're we're gonna be we're just about out of time. So let's talk real quickly. How can people purchase a shower shirt? Does it come in different sizes? How does that How does that work? How do they get one? Absolutely. We have three different sizes: small, medium, uh, size fourteen to or four to twelve, large, extra large, fourteen to twenty-two, and then we did roll out plus sizes. Uh, they okay. both come in black and white. Uh, anyone can go on theshowershirt.com for a shower okay. shirt, and just as a reminder, yes, it's for breast cancer patients, but it's also for patients with dialysis who need to protect catheters and ports and drains. We are also proud to say we're on Walmart.com. We've been on Walmart.com oh. since fall cool. 2011, and we um, we drop ship for Cure Diva, Wholesale Point, Unbeatable Sales. Uh, anyone can go to our website and go to the distributor page, and they can find the shower shirt pretty much across the country and internationally for your okay. international. And the cost? Viewers. What's the co- what's the cost of a shower shirt? Uh, we retail it for seventy eight dollars, but okay. I don't compete with any of my distributors, and most of them sell for sixty five to seventy dollars. Okay. Cool. Well, Lisa, you've been a fabulous guest. I've, I'm just so excited that we finally made this work. And I, I just want to also thank you again. Lisa was originally scheduled for August 4th, I believe. And there was an, an unfortunate situation um, involving a monsoon that came out of the blue. And Lisa had to reschedule and she was so gracious. So I just, again, Lisa, thank you so much for being so patient and such an amazing, wonderful guest. So I'm going to speak to our listeners for just a moment. If you love our show like we do and you really 
would like to see it continue, go to breastfriends.org. There's a big blue button at the top of the page. It says donate. Go on there, make a donation because your donations help keep this program going along with everything else that we do. All of our programs are free to our patients and we would just love to have your support to keep this going and everything else. So we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there's always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time. Thank you.